Brian. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Yeah, we haven't spoken in two weeks since before Halloween. Yeah, two conventions were here. We had to take last weekend. We had to take last weekend off simply for the fact that Paul had to cram all the Halloween into an eight-day period. Yep. So, Paul, mm-hmm. was your Halloween wonderful? Uh, you know, it's funny because for me, Halloween, <laughs> the last couple of years, I've I've seen a very specific trend in my Halloween, which is uh-huh. that the month leading up to it is jam packed with Halloween goodness, and then the week of is pretty quiet. Like I just yeah. hand out candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how many children do you pull into your, your home and they're never seen again? Oh, I mean, dozens, dozens. <laughs> <laughs> you well, you know, I, it, I don't ahead, know me. why, but like in the last few years, there have been hardly any trick or treaters. This year, I had uh, like last year, I think there were a grand total of like twenty. Had over fifty kids this year. Way more trick or treaters than I expected. Well, we got rained out here, and so my Halloween was, uh, you know, we we had dinner, and why I got on Halloween day, my uh, uh, Blu-ray collection of Frankenstein movies arrived. So we watched the original Boris Karloff uh, Frankenstein. My wife had never seen it before, and uh, and yet somehow it was great. you remain married. I know, right? <laughs> well, you know, she is a huge fan of of, uh, of Young Frankenstein. And so she just never seen the, you know, the, the, the source material from, from which that, uh, I was about film. to say, how can you be a fan of one without the other? I know. Right. Mm. But see, I think I confused horror with horrible. Cause I watched, uh, the first few episodes of legends of tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> oof, that was rough. Uh, so I, uh, I went out there was a uh, grocery store nearby that was going out of business. So I went out and stocked up on like full size candy bars and, you know, I'm uh, I'm expecting we're going to have like 20, maybe 25 kids. We have way more than that. As I say 50, but it may have even been more than that. So I run out of the full-size candy bar. So I go in the kitchen. So I okay, what do we got? We got uh, packages of Teddy Grahams. We've got some uh, Cracker Jacks. Hey, we've got white cheddar popcorn that I'm never going to eat. That's too funny. You know, I had actually stocked up. I was ready for Halloween, <laughs> and I was really curious to see how kids would respond to this. I've got granola bars for uh, oh, for Halloween. <laughs> oh, wow. Was that house. I figured that uh, my house was going to get rolled that night, right? You know? But, you know, we got, we got rained out, so it didn't wind up being an issue. Yeah. I bought candy one year a couple years ago. And, you know, I bought things that I like. I like sweet tarts and sweeties and things like that. And I have since been banned from buying the future candy uh, because I've been told I did it wrong. We need Snickers and M&Ms and things like that. See, my thing is, is you got to buy candy that you don't like, because otherwise you just turn the porch light off and eat it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hate Kit Kats. So I bought a ton of them. Who doesn't like Kit Kats? They went over really well. Well, you know... What he needed, Paul, was for someone to give him a break, give him a break, break him off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Well, apparently not. <laughs> well, you know, you, you 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 guys had mentioned the things that you watched. Well, um, I had on Facebook come across an article from IGN, and this is not on the outline, so I'm going off 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 script. What the hell, Paul? I know. Well, it says Netflix's The Night Comes for Us is one of the most original, brutal, and brilliant films of recent years, straddling the line between martial arts, action, and horror. And so I'm like, huh, 
Okay, and I looked at the poster, and it's got two of the guys from The Raid movies, which I love. I think The Raid movies are, are probably some of the best action films in the in the last ten years. Um, so I checked it out, and I will say, it's not horror, like, at all. Uh, I, I think where we're we're IGN was referring to the, the straddling the line between action and horror is just because it is just about the bloodiest damn action film I've ever seen. Wow. Um, but it is so good. So, so good. If you are a martial arts fan and you like action films, The Night Comes For Us, it is so good. I highly recommend it. And it's on the Netflix? Yep, it's a Netflix... Well, it's not... It says Netflix original, but it's probably just a film that Netflix bought the American rights to. Right, Um, right. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is subtitled. It has multiple languages. I think it has Chinese, Indonesian, and English. Um, but it is uh, just a fantastic action film. Uh, but like I said, one of the bloodiest damn action films I think I've ever seen. Just bloody you everywhere. Know, you know, I saw something on the news this week that, you know, historically Netflix has not preferenced a theatrical release over uh, its streaming release for their, ori- quote, original productions, meaning a production that they own. Um but they have apparently have two or three just fantastic films uh, that they have finished that are like they're, they're, they feel like they're Oscar worthy. And so they are going to allow a limited theatrical release on these films so that they can be considered for Oscar contention before they. So what they'll do is they'll allow them to be out for a number of weeks on uh, in the theaters in like a limited run, like in Los Angeles and New York City, Mexico, etc. Um, and then, you know, after those a couple of weeks are over, then they'll start streaming it. Yeah. Well, I would imagine The Irishman is one of those. That's the um, the Jimmy Hoffa movie yeah. that they paid for Martin Scorsese to get Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, and Harvey Keitel. Yeah, paid a sick amount of money for that one, as I recall. Yeah. I mean, they would be foolish not to release that in theaters. Yeah. So I'm 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 super interested in that. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, but. so check out The Night Comes For Us. It's 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 absolutely worth your time. Um, the first hour is just solid action. It's it's exhausting in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, hey, uh, Paul. Yeah. We have viewer mail. What? We have viewer mail. We have an, an email from uh, uh, renowned British funny books fan, Neil Dalton. He's British? Well... He plays a British character in our Star Trek Aegean uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, so we, we just we just that means he has to be British, right? Cheers. You can't play a British character if, in fact, you, you are not British yourself. Seems fair. Yeah, that would be racist otherwise, right? Yes. Yeah, but, it would be uh, appropriation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So so uh, Neil writes, uh, I have a question for everyone on Funny Books. On the new season of The Flash, has anyone else noticed that Joe West is only sitting in his scenes? There is one scene in episode two where he is leaning into the room from the hall, and you only see him from the waist up in the background. I wonder if Jesse L. Martin broke his leg. I hope it isn't anything more serious, although I thought he didn't look well in the season opener. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Neil. I, I may have added the cheers in. Ah, well, I mean, yeah. he's British, so it seems yeah. to go um, go with it. Seems like there should have been a governor in there, governor. but uh, I, I didn't see that. <laughs> anyway, so Paul, what do we know about this? 
This seems like a like a flash scandal. Well, apparently okay. Neil is not the only one who noticed it. Uh, viewers noticed that Joe West has been noticeably stationary and, um, quite frankly, a l- slurring his words a little bit, like not his usual self. Right. Um, and so it turns out that there is a reason for it. Uh, during hiatus, you know, during the summer hiatus, uh, he had a back injury. And it's so debilitating that he has not been able to do much on set. Uh, So he's going to take a medical leave of absence. Oh, no. Oh, well, you know, he's kind of a song and dance man and, uh, you know, has uh, has a beautiful singing voice. So I bet that's beyond the fact that, you know, back injury sucks for anybody. That's got to be particularly woeful for him. Yeah. So, you know, they're wishing him a speedy recovery. It sounds like they're they're anticipating that. So, um, yeah, a bummer, obviously, because he is probably you know one of the strongest actors if not the strongest actor on that show yeah i love joe on that uh on that show he's he's kind of the heart and soul of that show yeah i just I, haven't watched you know, any of this season yet yeah nor have i but uh i i really i really like his character so i'm sorry to hear that and we we wish him a speedy recovery absolutely so, flash so flash fact if <laughs> flashback, so if you're if you're like our very British friend Neil Dalton, uh, and, and you have a question for Funny Books, send us a note at ideologyofmadness at gmail dot com, or you can leave us a voicemail. And we'll leave you that phone number at the end of the show. We should create a uh, an email that is let Paul Google that for you. <laughs> <laughs> that. that that, that that that's actually probably not a horrible idea. Um, <laughs> so, you know, speaking of Daltons, Timothy Dalton was on a TV show a couple of years back that we talked of uh, quite frequently on the show, Penny Dreadful. Uh, Showtime series. Do you think series. Neil and Do you think Neil and Timothy Dalton are related? I bet they are. They would have to be, right? I mean, they're both from British, right? So yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, Right. Wow. We should leverage that and have Timothy Dalton on the show. We should. He should just introduce our show. <laughs> it is British accent. That's right. That's right. So, um, Aaron, did you ever finish watching all four seasons? Of I did. Show? I or, did. What's it? Three, three, and three seasons. And boy, I loved that show. Yeah, I didn't care for the way it ended. I thought it ended I nor, rather suddenly. Nor did I. But, uh, you know, one of the things I did not realize, uh, you know, in that last season, they show that big, you know, uh, what seemed like a, 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 a big fog bank that enshrouds the city of London. I did not realize that was historical, that that actually happened. Oh, me either. I, I was watching a documentary on um, uh, Mary Shelley, and they talked about that, that how that how how that that fog descended and that everybody in that period of time was like this is it shit's over it's the apocalypse well and now we know it was dracula the entire time yeah fucking dracula fuck he's the worst i hate that guy i know i think he's pretty awesome <laughs> you would of course you do <laughs> wayne still has his teeth in from halloween <laughs> hey, us soulless ones need to stay together <laughs> so um it was announced this week that showtime is actually bringing bringing penny dreadful back really uh, yeah so it not not a now they have not announced actors or how it fully ties in or if it ties in to the previous series, but Penny Dreadful City of Angels um, is is coming next year or set to begin production in 2019 uh, from the same creative team. John Logan huh. uh, will be uh, you know creative writer, executive producer John Logan, 
will serve the same role in the new series. Uh, it will be set in 1938 Los Angeles. Oh. Um, which is, you know, an interesting choice. And, you know, the original Penny Dreadful, for those of you who did not watch it, was was very much uh, uh, similar in idea to... Um, what's the... Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen from Alan Moore, in that it took... Uh, character uh, literary characters who were set in victorian london and combined them into like one story and so except from everything you guys said it was done well <laughs> yeah very well, different than league of extraordinary gentlemen it was uneven but i enjoyed it um so you know with that with them moving the the concept to 1938 los angeles i don't know what mythology they're going to explore well, and I think one of the beautiful things about Penny Dreadful is that it was legit set in a Victorian era. Um, you know, setting it in uh, in 1938 Los Angeles doesn't sound nearly as exciting to me. It doesn't sound nearly as uh, as as of a period. I mean, sure, certainly that's a period, but I mean, those those characters really belong in sort of that Victorian setting and. I, I, that, that, well, and that, the concept that, of Penny Dreadful exactly came from that time period. So, right, yeah, it's an so unusual choice. Uh, you know, I mean, here's the thing: it's the same creative team. I will give it a shot. I, I'm curious to hear if any of the characters will return because some of those characters were immortal, right? Um, you know, certainly Frankenstein's monster, the creature, was in. You know, yeah. w- could could return. Um, I I don't know about um, Ethan. You know the the werewolf character, if he was actually immortal or just you know a mortal with who turned into a wolf. See, and I would think that his character would be the logical choice for that show since he returned to America, right? Yeah, and yeah, I mean, and and quite frankly, he was what he was an engaging character, so right, it would be okay to to see him uh, again and tie it in that way because I, I don't think Timothy Dalton as Alan Quartermain uh, would necessarily work, right. That. Right. Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Neil. But your uncle or dad or whomever. <laughs> yeah, your older brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and in other TV news, uh, for those of you who care, uh, you know, th- there there is a Swamp Thing television show coming out from uh, James Wan. And uh, it was announced this week that Virginia Madsen is joining the show as Maria Sunderland. Now, I don't. I'm not familiar with Swamp Thing uh, mythology, right? Uh, but people seem like this was a pretty big deal, and I, I am a fan of Virginia Madsen. Well, I'm I'm a fan of Virginia Madsen in shows where she has her top off from 30 <laughs> years ago. So <laughs> I have no idea who she is, but well, she was in Highlander too, The Quickening. Oh, that was a horrible movie. <laughs> Wasn't she? She was also in Highlander. No, wasn't she? No, she was in the second one only. Okay. I have it in my head that she was. I guess I'm 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 conflating those. Okay. <laughs> well, to be fair, they they all kind of run together after a certain yeah. point. Yeah. Well. But yeah, I mean, she was also in Frasier. Oh, was she? I she, never watched Frasier. She was a recurring guest character in Frasier. Ah. Yeah. She played Cassandra. Cassandra. <laughs> I I really wanted to bring this DC app to PlayStation because then I would. You know, subscribe to the DC thing, but not until it comes onto the PlayStation for streaming. Well, I'll tell you, as someone you know, who does I, subscribe to DC, I still haven't actually watched it. Anything on I, it. You know, I keep, I've just got too much stuff in other places to watch for me to, 
I keep thinking I'm going to do it, but I'm like, you know, when am I going to have time to watch this stuff too? Well, yeah. I know exactly what I want to see, and I don't know what of it is already out. Yeah. So I want to see Young Justice. Definitely want to see that. I want to see the uh, uh, Swamp Thing when it comes out. Uh, I want to see the uh, the one with Stargirl. Yeah, it's Stargirl. So, yeah, so I'm waiting for all of those to drop and for it to drop on PlayStation. And then I'll subscribe for a month, then watch it all, and then unsubscribe. <laughs> I think... Um... I think the Young Justice is next year. The only original programming on it right now is Titans, um, which I've heard actually pretty good things about. I just haven't had a chance to watch it with, yeah. uh, like, you know, we were talking about House on Haunted Hill before the show started, uh, before we recorded. And, uh, you know, I'm enjoy I'm trying to get caught up on that on Netflix. I've, I'm about halfway through that. Yeah, Titans is not one that I want to see. But Young Justice, I'm excited about. So they just need to get it on PlayStation before they drop Young Justice. <laughs> Before they're done with Young Justice, anyway. Um, and it was also announced this week that Ewan McGregor would be joining the cast of the upcoming Birds of Prey movie as Black Mask. So I guess. No, I think he's joining as Obi Wan. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> may maybe it's a secret <laughs> Obi Wan movie. <laughs> Sorry, that just tickled me. I apologize. <laughs> Sitting here laughing at my own jokes. There you go. Um, so he'll join uh, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as the Huntress, and Journey Smollett Bell as Black Canary. Um, I guess he'll be the villain. And uh, in addition to that film coming out in 2020, I don't know if you guys read that Wonder Woman 1984 has been delayed till 2020 also. Do we know why? I don't know. And, you know, I... I I, I find it odd that at this point, I guess Shazam, Shazam is going to be their only movie coming out next year. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it, it's, I get that they're trying to retool that universe, but you're still clearly making movies set in the DCEU with Wonder Woman and Suicide and, you know, this Birds of Prey movie. So, like, why the delay? Why, why yeah. are we getting nothing now? I don't know. I don't know, Paul. None of these actors are getting younger. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, and the Wonder Woman is one I would see because like I have, I am completely out on the DCU except for Wonder Woman, and uh, I will see the next Suicide Squad just because they have James Gunn. I'm excited for Shazam. Oh, that's right. Oh, and Shazam, very much in for Shazam. And I forgot I don't about James Gunn as Suicide Squad. Yeah. Shazam, uh, I believe, is set in the universe because that was the whole thing about Henry Cavill. They wanted right. him to do a, you know, um, a cameo in it, and they said that that's that's where it came that they couldn't figure out the money. And now I'm hearing rumors that it is that he is going to do a cameo. So who the hell knows? Who the hell yeah. knows? I just you know DC just needs to get the shit together. It's I mean I I've said this and understand that I I, I am obviously underestimating the complications in putting together a movie universe, but it doesn't seem that fucking hard. I right. feel like it, with the, with the, with the character base that they have, it should actually be easier than Marvel's was because Marvel has to, has the complications of making people like Iron Man and the vision and those things interesting, you know, like DC has the iconic characters. It feels like it should be easier. Just my help. Just my opinion. Help them, James Gunn. You're their only hope. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay off the internet until then. That's right. The DC Universe is in crisis. Well, you know what they need? They need a sanctuary, Paul. 
oh, well, <laughs> it didn't work out well for the heroes in Crisis <laughs> because either Booster Gold or Harley Quinn or somebody um, it has has murdered everyone in in uh, in the sanctuary in Heroes in Crisis number two. And it is hinted that Poison Ivy was amongst the victims um, of Sanctuary because Harley Quinn is rather distraught about that. So, you know. I kind of want to let Wayne go first on this one because Wayne isn't a big fan of like this angsty superhero stuff. So I want to see if how he thought of this book, what he thought of this book. All right. So you remember the first issue I hated because I it wasn't what I wanted out of the series to begin with. I wanted to get into why are these characters there and trying to get inside of their heads and all of that. And there was just so much to dislike about the first issue. I like this issue a lot better, but I still have some major issues with this. The idea that they wouldn't reach out to Barry to let him know about Wally. Like, I could see Batman not doing it. I can't see Superman or Wonder Woman not calling Barry first thing. That just, that's completely out of character for me. I also, as much as I like Harley and think she's an awesome character, she's not out fighting Batman and Wonder Woman. Not happening in a universe. So I had issues with that, too. But other than that, I did like a little more of the the flashbacks in this one than the previous one, where the uh, the characters are doing their confessionals. Uh, it seemed like there wasn't much here. Like, at the end of the issue, I was reached the point, I'm like, There's, it's already over. Because I expected more story, more progression. But I wasn't as annoyed with this issue as I was the first one. It was definitely better than issue one, in my opinion. Aaron? I I thought that the artwork by uh, Clay Mann and uh, uh, Travis Moore Mm -hmm. was gorgeous. Um, I I really did. I really was taken aback by by how much I enjoyed the art in this book. Um, Contrary to uh, uh, Wayne's position, I really enjoyed... Uh, how Harley got over on Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Um, you know, that she steals Wonder Woman's lasso to tie up Batman. And there's this great exchange earlier in the book where Superman's like, well, you know, of course you've got some kryptonite in your bat belt. And Batman's like, no, I don't have any kryptonite in my bat belt. And so Harley subdues Batman with Wonder Woman's lasso and's like, Tell, t- tell me what you got in your in your belt. And he's like, well, I've got some kryptonite in my bat belt. I mean, that just cracked me up. Um, you know, and it's it's kind of that 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 classic Tom King sort of banter. He, he's he's really strong on character dialogue. And I would say he is as strong as Bendis in that, that he really voices characters uh, really well. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed that in all of the Tom King books that we've been reading. Um, I enjoyed the pace of this book. Uh, the only thing that I don't care for, and it, this is consistent with what I did not care for in the pages of Batman, is I do not care for his take on Booster. His uh, Booster being addled, uh, Booster being, you know, we don't know if he's insane or, or what. I don't care for that. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big Booster Gold fan. This just seems like a very different Booster. And I'm sure there's probably a reason for that that we'll discover later on. But I'm not enjoying how stupid Booster is in this book. I um, think he just doesn't know or doesn't acknowledge any of the character progression Booster has made in the last 15 years. 
I, I'm not willing to say that yet, but I, I, I do not care for it. I absolutely, though, understand why they didn't tell Flash about Wally because they're trying to get a handle on, on what's going on. Um, you know, the big three are going to are going to handle this problem. Uh, so I didn't have that problem either. But, uh, you know, I certainly understand Barry's reaction to what happened and why he clocked Booster at the end of the book. It's shades of identity crisis to me again. The the three above. Well, I guess not necessarily identity crisis, but the three above the others, keeping everyone else out of the loop. It just that bothered me. I will say on a voice standpoint, though, Aaron. That last bit, the last page of Superman talking about being Clark and being Superman and how neither are really him. Right. That is dead on. I mean, that yeah. is a Superman conversation I've had with people. Yeah. I've always said the only re- the only time he is really himself is when he goes back to the farm to visit Ma and Pa Kent because every other time he's playing a role. Right. No, I – uh I, uh, I I dug this book quite a bit. I, I think it's actually stronger than the first issue. Um, I, I I liked the the voices of all the characters and the confessionals. You know, uh, for you know Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman are all great insights into the character. So I dug it. How about you, Paul? I gotta say, I rather disliked this book. Um, and it's it's not that it's a poorly written book because it is an it is a well written book. Um. I really have issues with the way Booster is written in this book for the same reasons you do. I find him too buffoonish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Booster, he, I mean, of course, he's he's always a little bit of a dope, but he's also heroic. And in this, like, he's neither heroic nor smart. I, like, it, it's, and like, he could be under some type of influence that started in the pages of Batman, but I just, I don't get the impression, it doesn't feel like Booster to me. Like the voices are all spot on except for his. Right. Um, but I think the reason I, I disliked this book and, and it's funny because it's, I liked the first issue and it's not any different than the first issue. I think I just, it hit me that like, this is not, this is almost just too mired in the, um, you know, the, the hero's, um, weaknesses like no one is really acting heroic no one is you know overcoming their their flaws or their or their histories this is all about you know batman superman wonder woman like the traumas of their youths and the traumas of their lives and and how they can't get over it and same with all the heroes like it's all about it's just very negative. It's it's just a, a downer book, right? And I get that that's the story they're going for. But at the same time, like, I find a hard time enjoying the book for that reason. Because it, it is, there's nothing, there's no fun. There's no joy. It's just death and sadness. And to a certain extent, you know, that's not different than the book they advertised. It's just, <laughs> it's just, I guess I just, you know, there, there's two other crossovers that we're about to talk about that have a, a darkness to them, but also find a way to have the superhero action. And this one is not that book. And I get it. If that's not what they're going for. They're, this is basically identity crisis all over again. Um, and I get that, you know, a lot of people didn't like identity crisis for that reason. It was just too much. And I'm I'm wondering if Heroes in Crisis is is just striking that chord with me. You know, 
one other thing that bothered me now that uh, that you mentioned the booster gold being so out of it. Booster and Lois both have essentially the same thing happen where somebody is trying to tell them something and they're just completely and totally ignoring it when it should be setting off all of their red flags. Like Lois is being told about this letter that came in and uh, she is just ignoring it all until she hears the word, you know, the name the puddlers. She should have paid attention a lot earlier because what's being told is something that should have set off red flags. Right. Boost, Booster Skeets is telling him Wally or Barry doesn't know. And it's obvious Barry doesn't know with what he's saying. And he just doesn't get it. And same thing. It should have been setting off these red flags, but it doesn't. And it requires you to believe that these characters are so zoned out that they can't they don't pay attention to what people say. That bothered me. I did, however, enjoy that Harley wasn't actually a patient. Yeah, that she she just showed up there for uh, well the, for, for visitation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's there there during the unposted visiting hours. Conjugal visits with poison ivy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I dug it, and uh, you know it, it it does remind me of my uh, one of my favorite uh, DC crossovers, which was uh, Identity Crisis. I love that that Brad Meltzer story. So. Uh, I'm digging Heroes in Crisis. Yeah, it's very much. That's why I name dropped the Identity Crisis because this yeah. really feels like it. The problem is right now where the characters are. That's not something I think they need. They need the more hopeful, different versions. Well, what's funny is, and you know, not to not to get too mired in this one book, um, Identity Crisis history does not remember that book fondly. I love that book. We do. We do. Yeah. And, yeah, it was and, wonderful. You know, but like. Most people refer to Identity Crisis as a a low for DC because of the violence against women and yeah, the darkness of superheroes. They, it was right before they, they kind of turned things around and brought a brightness back to, to DC Comics. And that's how well, people remember and, it. And a lot of it's referred to as refrigerating Sue Dibney, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, that the... The whole story is revolves around a woman being victimized, you know, uh, which was you know sort of a trope of the '90s or was uh, cataloged as a trope of the '90s. But I got to tell you, I love I love Identity Crisis. It's beautifully I drawn. I think it's a story well told, and it's it does something that a lot of comics don't do really well. It told a reasonable mystery, you know that, and and you could follow. Uh, those clues and come to the same conclusion that, that the writer reveals at the end. And that's not always true. You know, a lot of times there, there's a lot of, you know, cheese moving in uh, comic book mysteries. And, and I just, I thought that, that identity crisis was beautifully told. I agree. Yeah. Well, since we're, we're, we're just all about the crossovers today. In fact, I don't think there's a single book we're going to talk about that isn't some form of crossover ish. Um, in, including Justice League and Wonder Woman Witching Hour. Uh, it's it's called Justice League Dark Wonder Woman Witching Hour number one, even though it's technically the final part of the storyline. Um, so. I almost didn't buy this book, Paul. Really? But, well, because I found the titling of it confusing. Um, and I was like, oh, I, I think this is a tie-in, not, uh, not uh, you know, actually the end of the story. And yeah. so there was this moment where I almost didn't pick it up. And I'm like, oh. But the the number one really confused me. It, yeah, and I, I don't understand how why they book into this uh, story this way. Yeah, why not just call it number two? 
Yeah, you know, we yeah. already had a Justice League Dark Wonder Woman number one. It, you know, in fact, or I don't even the know. conclusion. Yeah, put yeah. put conclusion somewhere on the, on the on the book. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, that's what I just. I, it was really weird. And I don't even know, like you know, so I'm I'm on Comicsology. I wouldn't. I don't even know how to look up. I guess I'd have to search for it. Uh, how to find the this, the first Witching Hour book? You know, a lot of times in Comicsology, they will list things by the story arc, so you can click on the story arc in the in the. Uh, it's almost like a hashtag kind of thing, uh-huh. and it'll bring you to all the books in that storyline. But I find that the cataloging there is woefully inadequate, uh, you know, and inconsistent. So I I thought this it was confusing the way they did these books. Um, you know, it made sense when it was jumping back between Justice League Dark and Wonder Woman, but the first book and the last book. Uh, are just oddly titled. Yeah, I agree. And especially if you, like, I'm looking at them right now. So, you know, the first one was Wonder Woman Justice League Dark, number one. And then Wonder Woman had The Witching Hour Part 2. Then Justice mm-hmm. League Dark had Witching Hour Part 3. This uh, last week's book, Wonder Woman had Witching Hour Part 4. And then this week says Justice League Dark, Wonder Woman, number one. And yeah, it's like, it's weird. just call it Witching Hour Part 5 or something. And just like yeah. you said. oddly titled um well and and the way we don't put anywhere on the cover or on the inside of the book which part you're reading drives me fucking insane yeah i i I don't understand why clarity uh is not a marketing scheme (laughs) if you want people to buy the rest of the books you know it it see it seems to me that if you're selling serialized fiction a good thing to do would be to tell people which order to read things in. Ah, I know that's silly. crazy talk, right? Crazy talk. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even uh, know who you are right now. <laughs> you know, I used to appreciate the Superman triangle. Numbering. The shields. Yeah. 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 The, the shields were great. You knew exactly where you were in the storyline. And granted, this was only what? Five, six issues. Yeah. And it was still confusing. Yeah. <laughs> It's super confusing. And and here's the thing. We're guys who read comics every week and have for years and years, decades even, and we were confused. Here's the thing. We're guys who read comics now. We've been reading comics for years, and we bought this digitally. We didn't even have to walk into a comic shop and try to find these issues on a shelf. Yeah. Um, just very, yeah, not 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 smart. Um, yeah. But I don't understand that. But what about the content of the book, Aaron? We you we we loved the first part, lukewarm on the second part, enjoyed the third part. Um, we didn't talk about the fourth part, uh, but now the the story is done. What did you think of it? It did not stick the landing. I would agree. Um, again, it, the, it, it, this was a problem that I didn't notice in the first issue, and then in each subsequent issue, I felt like the problem got I, I became noticeable, and the problem got worse and worse. And even more so in this issue, it is so third person narrative heavy um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's not just showing me in the moment what's going on. It's a lot of talking over and explaining the moment. Uh, And I, I think they had a really neat ending to this series, setting up the next big villain in the uh, supernatural DC universe but I felt like they they cut their legs out from under themselves 
in the manner in which the story is told. I mean, you this know, is it, the concluding chapter, and I don't mean to interrupt you, Aaron, but yeah. there is like in the middle of the book, 10 solid pages of nothing but exposition. Right. Yeah. yeah. I feel and, like if you're going to put that, put that in the middle of the story, that's where your lull should be. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I just felt like there was never a moment. Like one of the things I was looking forward to in this book was a super heroic moment with detective chimp. Right. Yeah. Or with man bat or with literally anybody in the, in the, in the cast. Yeah. And there never is because they're all they're doing is running. They have no control or impact in any of these events or circumstances. And I kept expecting somebody to pull a feather out of their hat and it never happens. You know, the, the big feather is John Constantine casts a, uh, an exorcism on, uh, wonder woman who is possessed by the powers of Hakate and, and, uh, you know, it causes an, an opportunity for Wonder Woman to turn the tide. But it, I, I'm sorry, Detective Chimp, uh, Man Bat, Swamp Thing to a certain degree are really all extraneous to this story. Right. You know, it's Z- Zatanna and Constantine do a little bit, Dead Man a little bit, um, but it's it's primarily a Wonder Woman story. And I get it. The villain that you're setting up for the next big thing is a Wonder Woman villain. But the whole time, it just felt like our heroes had no impact, no meaningful impact in the story going on around them. And it felt like you didn't need this big team up. You just needed Wonder Woman, you know, because she's on a journey to understand magic. And, you know, the parts where they explain Hakate and how she fits into the DC pantheon. Mm-hmm. Didn't that feel like a zero issue? Didn't that feel like something that should have Certainly. happened in terms yeah. of prelude? And it happens in the last issue of the book. I mean, they they share this creation story of magic uh, like it's, look, it's the big reveal. And I'm like, you know, I, I think I would have preferred this as as a prelude to the story. Just killed the momentum in the last chapter. Oh, terribly so. And it's all interesting and well drawn. It just... It stopped the action in the story. Agreed. And meanwhile, I think you've got this terrific ending and, and spoilers. So you know, here's your moment to advance about a minute or so. But Cersei, old time Wonder Woman villain, set up the whole thing so that she could absorb Hakate, who is the mother of all magic in the DC universe, it is revealed. And Hakate gets sucked down into... Uh, I don't know what we're calling it, the Underdark, the Upside Down, the the Mirror Universe, whatever the hell is where the Upside Down Man lives. And so Hakate is gone, but all her magic stays, and it all rolls into Cersei. So she is now the big bad magic goddess in, uh, in the DC Universe, and she is quite simply mad with power, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I wanted to like this book, um, and yeah. and I, other than I, so I agree with everything you said, and I have one more qualm or uh, issue, I should say, with this with this issue. Um, I have enjoyed Justice League Dark from the beginning, and I have enjoyed it because it is this supernatural dark take with superheroes. You know, I mean, most of the characters are are routed in the supernatural or rooted in the supernatural, except for Wonder Woman, anyway. Um, 
but you know it was bringing her outsider point of view her superhero point of view to the darkest quarters of the dc universe right and you know what i what i it's funny because this is the opposite complaint from what i had in heroes in crisis this story started very dark very you know with that right horror feel and it turned too big for me yeah. it turned into giant gods fighting like you know kaiju and i'm like what what no like that's yeah. you're 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 telling a different story than you set up you set up this horror story with the upside down man and the creepiness and the magic is fading and and satana's powers are going away and weird stuff and then all of a sudden you have giant gods fighting and olympus in flames and i'm like wait like this is not this is not the story that I thought we were going to get out of this. And I get, you know, it's not my story. I didn't write it. Uh, James Tynion IV wrote it. But I think he he went to superhero with it. And that's, yeah. you know, what I liked about Justice League Dark is that it was something different. Yeah, instead of a story about personal horror, it wound up being a cosmic crossover on the level of Jim Starlin. Exactly. Just just not nearly as good. Exactly. And, that and, that surreal dream weird stuff, you know, I mean that's yeah. that's basically what we got here, but you're right. It's it started off as a personal horror. Right. Um there is something that just cracked me up. There is a, a page where Diana, Wonder Woman, pleads with Hakate, "Don't make me kill you." Right? And <laughs> you know, you feel like there's going to be this this, you know, long speech where she is trying to convince Hakate to, you know, uh, back off from her position and restore magic to the way it was. Don't make me kill you. And Hakate is like, nope. At very next moment, Wonder Woman sets the, the uh, things in motion to literally murder Hakate. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was just like. Okay, so uh, you weren't gonna try and you know negotiate uh, here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like the giant spider showing up at the end of, of Stephen King's It, that that uh -huh. TV movie. That that's how I felt about the ending of this book. Like, yeah, like ah, you were good up until this moment. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong, it's not like every issue was a a uh, you know a knock it out of the park issue. In fact, it started strong and continuously got weaker as the story went on. Yeah. Um, now that being said, I'm, I'm still going to check out the next issue of Justice League Dark. I'm hoping it's, you know, it, it, we have some interesting setup. I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, the book itself um, will return to form and not be more like this. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well, you know, it's funny because one crossover ended and I picked up another one um, that I just want to say a brief word about. Drowned Earth. So I'm assuming it's it's the same basic premise that we got with Justice League Dark and Wonder Woman in that I got Justice League Aquaman number one, Drowned Earth. Um, so I think they're probably going to take the same weird approach to, you know, an, like a an alpha issue and an omega issue, but you won't know exactly. Right. And then it'll cross over between Justice League and Aquaman weekly between them, which don't get me wrong. I like that format. I just need it to be clear, clearly... Um, illustrated you know and numbered um and part of the issue with this being justice league aquaman drowned earth number one is that like stuff has already happened right um like i think this has been set up like this takes off of things that happened i guess in the last issue of justice league and the last issue of aquaman so which i i'm not fully caught up on my scott steiner justice league and i'm not reading aquaman 
Uh, so I picked this issue up. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What the? What? <laughs> like, I thought this was number one. And you aren't even like, there's not even a summary page of what happened <laughs> to get me here. Like Aquaman is in chains, this ancient race from the other side of the multiverse. Um, the ocean Lords has taken over the, they have taken control of the ocean and poisoned it and are flooding all of DC cities like Gotham city and Metropolis. But instead of which we've seen before, we've seen that. However, the, because the ocean is tainted and poisoned, it's not, drowning people it's turning them into sea creatures so we see you know jim gordon turned into a sea creature and the residents of metropolis all turned into sea creatures and here's the thing the and it's funny the book is also written by james tinian the fourth who i guess is like their go-to for these crossovers now um i actually enjoyed it i just didn't like i i i feel like i need to go back and read what the hell happened before because i feel like even though this says number one I, I certainly feel like there are at least two issues of book that came before this. Um, Paul, you definitely aren't selling me on it because uh, as you're describing it, my thoughts were, that sounds so horrible. And then immediately followed up with you saying, I actually like this book. Yeah, I mean, I actually don't mind. You know, here's the thing. I actually enjoyed it. I, I thought it was interesting. It's, you know, they found something different to do than, you know, typically what we when we see Aquaman crossovers it's atlantis is just destroying the surface world or at war with the surface world this is the ocean lords basically at war with everybody um and you know it's got some interesting stuff in it it's it's written by james hitting the fourth art is by howard porter who's you know always a great artist um it's just for me i i feel like i'm and i i did because like there's a, a scene in this book where batman's like i didn't break every bone in my body trying to protect this totality for nothing. And I'm like, oh, um, when when did that happen? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think I just need to get caught up on my Justice League for this to make sense. Uh, but I, I actually did enjoy it. But despite the fact that it says number one, it is not a number one. Uh, so understand that if you're interested in it, you probably have to read uh, the previous issues of Aquaman. And it ties very much into the Legion of Doom storyline that's going on in Justice League. So I feel like you probably need to read all of Justice League to get caught up on it too. And, you know, I'm not saying, and it's funny because I would say the same thing of Witching Hour. Like if you picked up Witching Hour number one, you'd probably be lost if you hadn't read Justice League Dark leading up to it. But, you know, I was already reading Justice League Dark, so I wasn't lost. This one I felt lost on. Well, you know, I, I sent Paul a note. And I was like, hey, if, if Drowned is good, let me know and I'll, I'll read it as well. And so I sent him a note last night because I hadn't heard from him. And I'm like, hey, what about Drowned? And he's like, mm, can't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it took me three reads to get through because, I mean, it's oh. because I was so confused. I was like, yeah. what is going on? Um, so, I mean, I, 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 I stopped twice. And it's a 40-page book, so it's not nothing. But, you know, it. I, I would say... If you're not already reading, if you're reading both of those books already, you're already reading this. Um, but if you're not, don't jump in on that one. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, Paul, did you jump out of Marvel 2 and 1? I did, actually, huh. a little while back. And not intentionally. I think I just, it just fell off my radar. Mm. Well, I, I've uh, had that happen for books before. Well, Wayne and I are still reading it. And uh, issue 11 came out this week featuring The Thing and Mr. Fantastic. And uh, this book occupies sort of a weird space uh, because it tells the story of uh, 
buddy trip between uh, Ben Grimm and Reed Richards after the fan, you know, the Fantastic Four has been reunited in the pages of Fantastic Four. We're not exactly sure the timing because, uh, you know, there's a big bad going on in the FF book right now. And so I don't know if they found just a few minutes to to go off and travel the multiverse together. So I'm not really sure on the timing. Wayne, I don't know if you were more clear on that than I am. I take uh, it to be after that gets all resolved because they make a mention of her. Yeah, I'm just not sure if maybe it's like, hey, you know, she's not dead yet or not locked up yet. Let's take a little break and then we'll go back. But anyway, I don't think that's important. What's important is you're getting time for Reed and Ben to share uh, their feelings and, and reasoning for, you know, the, the uh, uh, Reed and Sue disappearing with the kids, pretending they were dead for so long. Um, and they, you know, this is all set along the pages of Ben and Reed traveling the multiverse, going back to the world where Ben and Johnny were uh, and rounding up the mad thinker. Uh, and bringing him back to Earth. And while they're doing that, they they, they stop and chat with an alternate universe, uh, Victor Von Doom. And, uh, you know, the two the, the two of them, Reed and Ben, care and share throughout the book. Wayne, what'd you think of this book? Yeah, so this book did exactly what this series has done, and it's give you the family aspect of the Fantastic Four. I loved Ben's interactions with Reed. It seems like this conversation should have already happened, but maybe it didn't because of how uh, they were all reunited kind of in the middle of a big battle. Right. But I like Ben calling him on that, that, you know, he let them think they were dead. I like Reed's reasoning because it's, it is the type of thing you expect out of Reed, him to make the wrong choice for the right reason or for what he thinks is the right reason and for him to be clueless about the impact that it actually would have on his friends because he's trying to do what he thinks is the bigger picture. I like their interaction with that doom and how I see the, uh, the potential of that doom going evil as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that I mean, <laughs> the, Ben calls him doomy. Uh, you know, there's certainly an element of doomy to him. Uh, it, it seemed clear to me that we were foreshadowing that while this uh, Victor Von Doom seems like a decent guy right now, he's about to make a pretty hard turn. Um, I liked this book a lot uh, because it it is it provided some quiet moments so that these two characters could talk. And, you know, Ben expresses some things that I felt about what Reed and Sue did. Yeah, you know, that it's pretty damn shitty to let your best friend and your brother uh, think that you're dead, you know, and that you and all the fucking kids. I mean, Ben is like the kids read. You made me think the kids were dead. Yeah. And um, they didn't just have their own kids. They had yeah. other people's kids with them, too. Yeah. I mean, so pretty damn shitty. And, you know, I like that that Ben doesn't hold back on that. Um, while Reed Richards may indeed be the smartest man in the world. He is the one of the least wise men in the world. Um, and we yeah. see that over and over and again. In fact, you know, I, I Sue is smart and wise. And I really wish that uh, she would push him and say, look, I'm going to be the one making the big decisions in this family. <laughs> you know, well, because... what I'm looking forward to is the next issue is Ben and Sue. Right. I want to see this conversation happen between them yeah. because with Reed, you can kind of. You see how he gets there. 
uh-huh. see how he makes the wrong decision because that is Reed. He he has no emotional intelligence. Well, and you see in the in the um in in the second to the last page, last three panels, Reed's already deep into another bad decision. You know, he is still meeting with the Council of Reeds. He is there. There is a secret there between Reed and Doom. You know, I am not convinced at all that when Ben asks him, so uh, what did he tell you? That Reed answered that question truthfully. I felt oh, like, no. Definitely I mean, he lied. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I feel like, you know, he probably gave him a half truth. Reed's answer as well. He said, don't give up on it. And I think that there's probably an omitted piece of that conversation and i think it's bad i think it's bad 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 uh but yeah, you know that- from a storytelling standpoint if that's all he said we would have seen it on the page right they wouldn't have made it the scribbly lines to not be able right. to read it yeah no i i think something big and bad's going on there and it it just demonstrates time and again that reed doesn't learn from his mistakes so while he may have book smarts he does not have world smarts and i at some point i think the the writer has to have every character around Reed hold him accountable for that. Because we have seen this in the Hickman books. We've seen this in the books that followed Hickman, uh, where Reed just continues to make really bad decisions. Yeah, and with most characters, I get frustrated when I see them not learning from their mistakes. Yeah. But for some reason with Reed, it just, that is his character. Well, and it's certainly I'm become cool his with characters it. over the last 20 years. Yeah. You know, that used to not be the case. Um, but it has certainly become what Reed's all about is that he thinks that his intelligence trumps everybody else's uh, and that, they're, that he doesn't identify the difference between intelligence and wisdom. And uh, it's 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 obviously this is all going to come back and bite us in the ass later on. So I, but I got it. All that said, love to this book. Love yeah, this book. I did too. It's giving me that family feel that I want out of Fantastic Four, and the Bendis, uh, or not Bendis, the uh, the main book is not giving me that yet. I'm hoping it does, but you got to get past that first storyline before we can get that. Exactly. Well, yeah, we're we only two through. issues in, right? On the fir- on right. that other book. Yeah, it feels yeah. like it's a while between issues. Yeah, it does feel a little lengthy. But maybe it's coming out next week. You never know. Paul, what's coming out next week? Well, not Fantastic Four. Damn it. <laughs> but if you haven't gotten your full um, Halloween fix, there is a, a collection called Batman Haunted Night New Edition, which uh, is a collection of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale Batman books set on Halloween night. Um, some really, really good stories. Uh, highly recommend if you've not checked those out before to pick that book up because it's it's a those are those are really fun. Um, also from DC Comics, we get the Grant Morrison Liam Sharp Green Lantern number one. I'm looking forward to that. We shall see. We shall see. It are you going to buy it, Paul? Oh yeah, I'll buy it. Uh, I'll, I'll awesome. give the first issue a shot for sure. Good deal. And uh, from Marvel Comics, we're going to get Marvel Knights number one, uh, which is a 20th anniversary miniseries of the um, the Marvel Knights banner, which is. One of the kind of the turning point for Marvel, damn straight, uh, you know, in the late '90s, where Joe Casada um, was put in charge of this imprint, brought in some top talent, including Kevin Smith. They brought on folks like um, Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon. They did Daredevil well, and Punisher, well, and 
Roberto Aguirre Sacasa did the four, the Fantastic Four Marvel Knights books. Yes, exactly. And uh, there so, were some real, yeah. So there were some really good things, and there were some really bad things. There were. I loved, loved, loved the Fantastic Four Marvel Knights books, and this explains. I wasn't making the connection. Uh, Comicsology has a number of those Marvel Knights titles on sale right now, uh-huh. um, and I, so I picked up all four volumes of the uh, Fantastic Four uh, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Yeah. You know, the same guy who brought us the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina in both the Archie. Uh, comic book and the Netflix hit that it is. And I, I, I love that he's an executive producer on the show and wrote the first episode. Well, yeah, the Spider-Man and the, uh, the Wolverine ones though, were both really horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean that, but that Spider-Man was also, you know, early work from Mark Miller. Um, you know, yeah. we also got the black Panther stuff out of that. I mean, a lot of the stuff that was implemented from Marvel Knights, um, is still in effect or has inspired the Netflix shows. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a big deal. And so the 20th anniversary book um, written by Donnie Cates, art by Travel Foreman, who neither of them were involved in the original Marvel Knights. So I'm not sure why that's the creative team. No. Um, but I think they're they're trying to, to restart the imprint with new creative talent. Uh, but that comes out next week as well. Well, hey, you know, out there in the uh, Funny Books feed right now, is the first episode of our second season of Ghosts of Rainsboro. That will be the only episode of Ghosts of Rainsboro from this season that drops in this feed. So if you want uh, episodes two and three, uh, episode two should be coming out next week, uh, episode three sometime after, uh, you go over to the Rainsboro podcast feed, which you can find right here on iomgeek.com. Check it out. I, I, I think that it's a super good listen and it just gets more effed up after that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Check it out. All right, gentlemen. Awesome. Well, Paul, I, I'm so glad that uh, you, you survived yet another Halloween. It's only, you know, 51 weeks until your next Halloween. Well, to be fair, I'll probably start celebrating about 40 weeks from now. So, well, well, you know, after Easter, right? Yeah. Right after. (laughs) Well, good. Uh, You know, if you've uh, got a question for us, you know, like uh, our our good friend, uh, British Neil Dahl, uh, or or Timothy Dalton, uh, give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail or email or, 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 or bloody, bloody organs on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Woo! All right. Well, you can also check us out on Twitter at Ideology Madness, Facebook, IOM Geek, or Instagram, IOM Geek. Woo! Next week, guys. See you then. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.